Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, D. Corey shares his path from how he broke into Bear Stearns from a complete non-target school right before the financial crisis to how he survived once it was acquired by J.P. Morgan. Listen to hear why he followed a managing director to a smaller firm in the renewable energy space, as well as one piece of advice he would give to his younger self. Enjoy. All right, Dan, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Hey, great to be here. Thanks, Patrick. It'd be great if you could just give the listeners a quick summary of your bio. Yeah, of course. Um, so undergrad, I went to Moravian College, majored in economics, picked up a little technical side with physics and mathematics along the way. Uh, from there, coming from a tier three school, took me a bit, but I finally broke in and Worked at Bear Stearns doing principal investment, learned commodities, tax enhanced structuring, survived the merger, hung around JP Morgan, and called it quits, surprisingly, but uh, did a not so uncommon tale of followed my old managing director off into the great frontier, where I built a couple hundred megawatts of renewable energy power as a developer, uh, you know, VP of finance role type, and then followed that uh, market moved back towards the, the buy side doing asset management for the like, all sorts of renewable energy uh, for Sumitomo Corporation, one of the big five Japanese trading companies, mm-hmm. which led me to where I am today, working with uh, some of my partners at Asia Atlantic, and we do a bit of the same of what I just described. We're uh, strategic advisors working on ESG and other impact-oriented investment structures. Great. Thank you for that. So let's start all the way back at your undergrad. So Moravian College, where is that? Ah, my favorite question, where (laughs) is Moravian? Uh, It's in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Okay. it started in 1742, one of the oldest colleges in the country. I always say they've been keeping the secret ever since. Um, <laughs> and you were, it, you were a dick, you did the decathlon. Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> I majored in track and field, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, a little bit of jack of all trades type. Uh, so I was, was a three sport athlete in high school and when I got into college I just knew it was a big part of me big part of how I focused tell me a little bit about why my why Moravian what what drew you there and tell me about a little bit of your upbringing and kind of like what 
were you always thinking finance or when did kind of finance come onto your radar? So I went to Moravian for two reasons. One was that they were affiliated with other schools in the, in that area. Uh, Lehigh was one of them. Mm -hmm. And I had a engineering track in mind when I went there. So I started off uh, majoring in physics undergrad, picking up uh, econ minor, psychology minor, uh, and Moravian let me into a program where I got to design my own curriculum. Hmm. Just soup to nuts. Uh, It's a liberal arts school, so the standard formula is two years of core classes, two years of your major. And they didn't force you to do that. They did not. So I traded classes like basket weaving for differential equations, which certainly was uh, certainly was a, a little more challenging of a route. Uh, for sure. So you, you wanted to make it hard on yourself. You were uh, basically... Turns out, yes. And yeah. you and did you do well or were your, was your GPA kind of, you know, mid, mid threes or what, what, how did you end up there? Uh, they let me out early for good behavior. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, so my, I did, I had less than a three O GPA graduating. Okay. So you had, uh, less than, I, you had a less than a 3.0. You went to school that most people haven't heard of in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And so how in the world did you end up at Bear Stearns? <laughs> All right. Throw a little <laughs> magic in the middle. Yeah. Um, so I knew what I techni- uh, what I wanted to do in in, in essence. Mm-hmm. Um, keep in mind, I, I grew up right outside New York City, so uh, the city and the finance track was always something I I understood. Sure. So having that more technical, quantitative reasoning background always sent me back that way, and I just did the old-fashioned method of networking. Uh, being a 22-year-old coming from a small school, you didn't know a lot of folks. Uh, but there were a couple strong contacts that I didn't abuse, but I relied on for guidance uh, and asked for, uh, you know, they never asked for a job. He always asked a question and advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, now somebody's uh, at this point in my career, I totally understand it. Everyone's favorite topic is themselves. <laughs> so ask somebody, hey, how did you get there? And guarantee somebody who uh, who likes telling this story will be happy to share it with you. And so you said good old fashioned networking, but even, I mean, it's not like you graduated like 30, 40 years ago where maybe some good old fashioned networking would get you in the door. So it still surprises <laughs> me, you know, you graduated what, in 06 or so, or what was it? 05. 05. So like, yeah. The not economy, age. So yeah, I mean, maybe the economy was good. So maybe they were just looking for bodies and what do you think it was? Um, so I, Definitely stepped in off cycle. Yeah, uh, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. So when I say good old fashioned networking, I mean like you work. Uh, I mean that you work really hard to be in the right place at the right time by being in every place you possibly can be at all times, Max. So what were you using? Were you using was LinkedIn even around then? It probably wasn't. How are you? How are yeah, you? Networking? It wasn't a thing. Um, there were other job boards at the yep. time where I could get a sense of of flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, what my break ended up being was that a a, a family friend mm-hmm. knew somebody who worked at Bear Stearns. And this is yes. this almost feels like a movie every time I describe it. Um, family friend said, "Hey, I talked to my neighbor who worked at Bear Stearns. Let him know that you have some questions about what it takes to get in to a company like this, and he'd be happy to talk to you." 
So I took that as a you know, 22, 23-year-old kid as, wow, somebody's willing to help me. So the next morning, I picked up the phone. He's, he worked on a trading desk. Uh, 8.30 a.m., picked it up. Uh, hello, Mr. So-and-so. This is Dan. Thanks for taking my call. And I barely got anything out. Um, and I'll just PC the rest of the language. But he just says, listen, kid, I do not have a job for you. You can imagine he used a little more colorful wording. <laughs> and like, wow, everything uh, I was expecting on this phone call just went sideways. Mm. Um, so I apologized, of course, uh, so, Hey, uh, sorry, I came across that way. This is really like 10 seconds into the phone call. Yeah. And I just, uh, explained, I was hoping to ask some questions. He gave me some guidance. Uh, he again says, look, I just don't have a job for you. I said, totally understand. Uh, I'll tell you what, you sound really busy. I'll, uh, I'll call back another time that, that you have more time to speak slam i hang up the phone because i wasn't going to get anywhere so, oh my god <laughs> you hung up on the guy oh no oh my god yeah <laughs> do you feel like it was like you panicked in the moment and like he was just pushing you and you just like slandered you felt li- like it was a little bit of flight or uh you know fight or flight but flew. somewhere like something calm cool collected took over me because i called uh, i set myself up to call him back the next morning at 8 30 <laughs> and he didn't have enough time to say no right, right. okay so, so you basically you hung up so you couldn't say no or like don't bother or whatever. And so you ended up calling him again the next morning. Yeah. When okay. he was polite enough to give me the head of global HR's personal phone number, which was a total train wreck in itself. But what this, what this uh, person accidentally did was he turned me into a referral by putting my name into, into the stack. So then you can, you can imagine somebody's job in HR is to create, all of these filters so they have a stack of 100 resumes right and take the top 90 now let's consider some 10 i mean i've I've hired myself i know know the process i don't even see all the applicant applicants if i wanted to my hr teams would never even show them to me right so you're Um, you're basically you're now in as a referral even though so tell me when you said that other call when it's like disaster so he so but tell me a little bit more of that call so you called him back you left me hanging <laughs> does he be annoyed the second day when you call back i think he was getting the point that i was just gonna uh hopefully get some advice out of him so he 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 passed the buck uh, along he said, that's, yeah, I, I i just need some help guiding the beginning of my career and he said okay we'll just talk to hr and he yeah. gave you their phone number? Gave me a, gave me a phone number of the and person to call. And a name. Okay. And little did I know that I mean, this was like the managing director of human resources. <laughs> who, <laughs> who was, was very that polite. That yeah, this is a fair. It was, just, it was truly a small shop um, in that sense. Very flat dynamic. Okay. Um, he, that guy was very helpful, very friendly, very direct that there's nothing he could do today on the phone other than you know, keep my name on file. And were you pushy? Were you saying, you know, I'm looking for a job? At that point, were you asking, you know, when it's a process? How do I get my, what were your questions? And if you can remember, I know it was <sighs> 12 years ago. I really was just trying to understand what the process was uh, to, to get in. Yeah. And I felt like I got as far as I humanly could through this avenue. Okay. So, so and, he and basically was, says, yeah, just, I have you on file. There's nothing I can do right now how did it end call me back in a couple months coming back in a month yeah, yeah get, get like a like a soft uh, lead but that wasn't how i got um got my started there okay, that's so how i got my yeah so 
what I ended up doing was then going back out to job boards, finding openings, and I did find an opening for an off-cycle analyst role that I, that I made a point of applying to. And when my name popped up, 2005, 2006, there was some sort of system that, my, that I made the 10% cut because I was a referral. You're saying the 10% cut of people who don't just get thrown out in the trash right away. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> so you are actually, your, your application actually got viewed by a human. Okay. So go ahead. So, uh, so that got me, that got me viewed. Like, I think you said it. Um, from there, you know, the, the hard part I knew coming from my background was getting my foot in the door, getting that network. And instead of having somebody intentionally <laughs> refer me, uh, just just figured out the uh, just figured out the system and got myself I got myself through. When I finally got uh, got my resume in for a job that I felt was appropriate, I, I had to do the same standard interview. Um, it was a lean mean shop, and interviewed and pretty much got uh, got an offer when on my first in person interview. So, they just, on the spot they gave you the interview or the offer right there. Yeah. So do you feel like they knew, tell me a little bit, what, what were you specifically interviewing for? It was um, on the principal investing side or what was it? Yeah, it, it was a commodity arbitrage uh, type of group. Mm-hmm. And this was, they called them, uh, we called it strategic structured transactions. So it was a lot of... Um, uh, finding things that were related to tax credits, so if you had a uh, and other sorts of anything, really, how can I describe everything under the sun? It was anything and everything under the sun. Um, what you're actually group, trading? You're actually trading it. You're on a desk with the monitors trying to track different markets, or what are you? There you were day to day traders. Um, my role was more uh, long term structured transaction support, so okay. I was supporting. Uh, you know, uh, new new deal transactions, you know, M and A uh, in house support, as well as just, you know, after the close, we we were uh, it were a tight shop, so it was asset management uh, to follow all that. Okay, um, this group ended up becoming what was later known as Bear Energy, and one of the the home uh, the, you know, the major investments that J P Morgan bought uh, bought Bear for. So their entire trading and large-scale power plant investment operation uh, was uh, was the, the the broader, more publicly known stuff. Other than like you know lumber trading or um, doing synthetic coal fuel transactions, commodity prepayments, working with uh, working municipal and public bankers. Um, so like a, you're hired to come in and you're so Bear Energy. So you basically came in and. Like, are you making markets? Are you like, how should I think about it in terms of like, is it sales and trading? Is it, you know, how do, how do I think about it as like as an analyst or an associate, you coming in, it's your first job out of school. What were you doing day to day? Like you're, you're on a team. How are things structured? How, what's the training like? Oh, sure. Um, so this, it was a lot of on the job training. Yeah. They just, Every, uh, nothing was formal. Uh, like I said, being off cycle, Mm-hmm. It really took me out of any sort of rotational program. Right. I was hired directly onto a group, and the group had uh, we had a mortgage portfolio, and we needed da- you know daily risk reporting on that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we were also originating new mortgages into an, uh, into a larger portfolio of that. So it was a kind of a catch-all. Mm-hmm. Um, so was this like almost the heart of the financial crisis? Would you call this the heart of the financial? Because you're dealing with the mortgages, oh, and when yeah. you talk <laughs> when you start talking oh, yeah. about mortgages in 2008, so. Tell me a little bit about that, the mortgage, I see mortgage default swaps, all that fixed for floating interest rate swaps, <laughs> yeah, all this stuff. Was, this is like, this is the heart of the financial crisis. So tell me a little bit about what was going on in there. I mean, printing money, things were going great. I think through 2007 where there were some cracks maybe, but when can you just guide me through that timeline and just tell me like, what was it like at the beginning? And then when did kind of things start? Did it all just crumble super fast and it was a shock? Or was there kind of some writing on the wall? The, for us, for the, um, the way we had things uh, positioned, mm-hmm. one day we were funding a portfolio and uh, writing off the default risk. And the next day we were not. Um, we had, uh, we, uh, an investment bank's job is not to sit there and incubate risk. You're supposed to take it in, parse it up, dole it out. Mm-hmm. So we had, uh, you know, a sizable portfolio of commercial notes, and the uh, the default risk was basically bought out at like 150 bips. Mm-hmm. It all worked in our structured transaction. Life was good, and part of my job there was to build out another hundred million dollars worth of uh, commercial notes, which we did successfully. Got everything all tidied, and 2008 came around. When you know January, our, um, you know, sitting in with our team meetings, saying, "Okay, this is uh, now we have the whole portfolio put together. Let's go uh, get rid of the risk." I should mention this is a tax credit portfolio, so it was way more complicated than standard, uh, you know, bucket up and send it out CMBS type of stuff. Okay. Um, so, I mean, here I was, uh, analyst or associate Dan, trying to put pitch books together when the market's going sideways, and I just came back like. We cannot, uh, we can't afford to sell out the default risk at 35% per year because everything just blew. Yeah. So I went from 150 bips to 3,500 bips in the month that we're trying to trade all this stuff. Uh, and that's, you know, that, that totally overlays with JP Morgan's pick. uh, And so you weren't able to, you weren't able to basically, um, your group wasn't able to basically offload that risk fast enough. Right to to keep the bank solvent long enough. Well, our group our group was really it was a tiny. Fr- it was a tiny fraction of the whole yeah. problem. I mean, <laughs> drop drop in the bucket. Drop in the bucket uh, compared to the, what was happening in the mortgage side, right? Right. So, so it, we were it, we weren't sitting on any default issues. Mm-hmm. Um, just say at that time, some of our credit was AAA that uh, in the portfolio, so we really weren't concerned. Okay. Uh, however, you know, it still wasn't the business model. Okay. So, yeah, it's, it's tough for me to wrap my head around in terms of everything that was going on at that time. You know, I'm not in the, in that type of, you know, I worked in restructuring and banking and more of like some, a little bit of M and A and then did private equity. So this whole world of structuring and selling and bringing on products and selling them off is, is, is interesting. I, I just don't understand. I don't really understand it. It's hard for me to understand and wrap my head around. I don't know if you can maybe give an example to the listeners to help us kind of like wrap our head around of like, can you talk about a specific deal you did or how, how you'd think about it? So this was like yeah. the energy. Mostly you're dealing with like energy products or 
tax yeah. arbitrage or whatnot, but how would, um, like, what's your role? And then like, how would, what's like an example deal, I guess you would work on or project? Sure. There's a, um, there's a great trade uh, I can talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a, it is all tax arbitrage. So okay. my company, um, uh, Bear Stearns has a 40% tax rate. Mm-hmm. Every dollar we take in, we're paying 40 cents out. Um, we purchased a uh, we purchased an energy facility uh, from a uh, from a ut- uh, another utility that had a lower tax rate. I think they had they were, because of a backlog in tax credits that they had. Yep, they were probably paying about ten percent tax, you know, effective tax rate. Yep, so it just wasn't hitting their internal rate of return requirements on on these investments. Uh, not to get too murky into the into the science of it all, but it was a synthetic coal fuel facility. So you're taking coal bricks, you're smashing them up, turning them into powder, mixing in the chemical equivalent of pine tar, rebricking okay. them, and selling them off. Okay. Uh, you and then that process entitles you to a tax credit per ton. Got it. And so and, that tax credit was being so you guys pr- actually purchased the company. Yeah, so we uh, so we went out per, uh, purchased the operating company. Yep, um, and, and then, that gave you access to those tax credits, which shielded some of the income from Bear. Right. Yeah. So that was that was business model one hundred and one for us. Okay. We're just we're we're sending tax credits up uh, to the mothership, and right. they're paying us on the dollar essentially. Makes sense. Okay. So you're you're, I mean, but was. Did Bear want to be in this space? I mean, or was it was it being done across all different industries? Or was energy kind of real focus for you guys? For us, energy was a real focus. Maybe because uh, there was more tax credits there to be had. Yeah, it's it, it's a pretty liquid uh, market. Yeah. Uh, for these types of transactions, basically because there's a really deep market uh, uh, in principle, uh, mm-hmm. commodities trade on their uh, on their own right. Yeah. So tax enhanced structures are are you it's easier to hedge. Um, the same the same year you're talking about uh, uh, markets blowing out the trade I just described. Uh, we were planning on collecting, uh, basically earning our PL in terms of tax credits, and that was the year that oil spiked at 100. So yeah. I had a hedge on this project that I would manage every day. You talk a little, throw a little day to day work in there mm-hmm. uh, that just went, well, I guess, right side up. We were we just had it there to protect the phase out of the tax credit, not uh, which was something like from fifty five dollars up to seventy one dollars per barrel, and then oil spikes at a hundred. So same kind of stuff. I you know, pull all stuff together, have a quick team meeting, say, "Hey guys, bad news, we get no tax credits this year. The the, the, the tax credit trade failed, but good news that hedge that we placed <laughs> just paid out like eighty million dollars. Uh, here we go." So it's awesome. So you're sending it out. So you're, it worked out in the end. So tell me a little bit about as things started to kind of go south, what was the, what was it like on the inside? Um, I know you said one day things started kind of the, the spreads widen on some of your trades and you just, you couldn't, you couldn't do the deals anymore. You're upside down. That was in your little, your group. But right. just kind of firm why did you know that it was systemic, that it was kind of across the firm, there were, there were issues? I mean, you're it, still pretty it really, it really did happen fast, I would say, in that regard. Uh, mm-hmm. We were working closely with the commercial mortgage origination group and mm-hmm. 
they were on the, they were on the front lines of uh, of fault. Yeah, uh, you know, there was the the initial funds were closely related to a lot of a lot of that um, that that trading volume, and mm-hmm. it was harder and harder to communicate internally with groups that are probably having some uncomfortable conversations within their own team meetings. Right. So like looking back and piecing it together, you can say, Oh, that was a good clue. Okay. That was a, that was a telling moment. Um, but at the time it wasn't, you know, nobody was running down the hallway you know, with their hair on fire. Right. Uh, up until one weekend and nobody was running down the hallway at all. Hmm. And so what was that like? What, what happened? You came in one day and what they said, go home or what? No, I, like I said, uh, so you just got uh, JP Morgan. Yeah. Came in. And so tell me a little bit about that. What was that transition like? So as a bear was a very flat organization where you could do a whole bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I learned career path wise was that what I was doing, I think you said it's like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, in JP Morgan, it was a little bit of this silo, a little bit of that silo. So my, my job in one company doesn't necessarily exist in another company. Yep. Uh, so I, I watched part of, you know, part of what I'd like to do, the energy side of business that was all shifted completely out of New York, moved to Houston. Uh, the, the real estate, the mortgage tax, our, uh, portfolio that was moved semi in New York only because I was there and there was some other admin uh, on site mm-hmm. they're all headquartered out of Chicago uh, and then other like new business uh, that we were that we were chasing after just went off into its own different individual books got so it. I kind of got chopped into three and then offered one third of all of that uh, so it's like you can hear. Was your was your pay chopped in a third, or are you just saying, yeah, you doing the math that I was doing too? <laughs> uh, I can I can follow this. Um, let's talk uh, a little bit about let's talk a little bit about pay then, since we're on it. Um, so at at Bear, were you getting paid really well to do this kind of a uh, little bit of this, a little bit of that um, during those years leading up to it, the crisis? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was a very uh, risk reward or um, oriented uh, model. Do you mind sharing like around a range of what you cleared and? the couple of years that you were there um doesn't in yeah it's it's awkward yeah. but it's it's helpful yeah um let me put it in context um after my time at bear i realized that people refer to their bonuses and percentages and not multiples mm-hmm. um and that was it was it was a not a culture shock but just i'm like oh yeah right i, I was getting used to that uh you know you basically your base salary is enough to to keep you in an apartment uh fed and clothed mm-hmm. in new york city uh, i think my my base is probably like 60 yeah so that's not going too far no that's fair okay so you're you're kind of in this transition but things are getting chopped up moved around you feel a little bit like i don't know if there's a future here what makes you jump you followed your uh, somebody from bear yeah, so my old uh, senior managing director, who actually hired me, mm-hmm. uh, he he was gone pretty much right away, a lot, along with a lot of other senior folks uh, mm-hmm. in, at Bear. And he went off and did the same type of math that we were doing all day long. I can't stress enough; we were, it was just math all day long. Okay. Um, and 
he ended up with a, a renewable energy developer, which is a bit of what he and I were working on before um, he was let go from Bayer. Mm-hmm. And it made a lot of sense. It was the same kind of modeling, uh, but just from a, uh, you know, from a different side of the transaction. The economics but, made sense, meaning like the, to be in that space at this point, or the, it made sense to have you come along because you were part of the team. Um, well, I would, that and uh, you know, the, the career path for me made sense. Uh, one, one, no, having a team that you already know how to work with day one is always huge. Yeah. Uh, building rapport is invaluable. Knowing how to communicate with people that you work with is everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the economics were certainly good. Uh, so coming on to you know, a, a smaller private shop was, uh, was exciting. It was enticing. Uh, there was uh, the future that I felt like had an impact in. If you have an impact, you tend to have some control on it. Yep. Uh, and also following and getting getting to be a subject matter expert instead of a uh, a, a like a highly sharpened focused generalist on a bunch of different markets. Fair. That was uh, that was I felt that was a good move, and I felt comfortable in that decision. And so, when you say renewables, is it specifically only were you guys just doing all wind? Were you guys just doing or were you doing all types of renewables? Yeah, it was it was all wind. Uh, okay. So. That company was based in the Midwest mm-hmm. uh, and focused on uh, large-scale, utility, uh, utility-scale wind generation. Great. And so you were there for many years. It sounds like you had a pretty good run. Uh, why change? Why leave? So the whole market was dependent upon the tax credit that expired. In 2012 or 13? 12, yeah. 12. So, so it started getting rocky in terms of... Yeah, the... We, there was a big rush, and the whole, you can see the history of, of renewable energy is ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Every time the tax credit is set to expire, there's a huge rush in the year before it expires that basically can't uh, forward cannibalizes all the all the inventory of developments. Yeah. Um, so we did a whole bunch of that. We forward sold some projects, and it just seemed like my job was done. It was, it was over. It was over. <laughs> I did my job. Now yeah. please go home. Was it was was the thought process when you kind of came in there? You knew that was coming down the, but you thought, hey, there's like a three year runway, and who knows how it'll develop. Was that the thought process going there before you jumped, or it was like, hey, I just know this managing director. I'm comfortable working with him. I trust him. Like when when did you realize that it was done? It had to be before the credits expired, I assume. Yeah, I like you know like the the tw- I would say that the twelve months leading up to then you're doing the math and you're and you're seeing everything accelerating. And you know what's going to happen the twelve months after then. Yeah. Um, but now the, the the impetus to, to work on this team there was not so much that we could just be hired guns to go out and develop projects, but really to take this company and uh, you know bring it public. This was all uh, pre uh, you know Next Era and other. Uh, big firms spinning off and doing their yield codes. But you know, the, our whiteboard was essentially the same exact thing, uh, taking a developer and bringing them public, raising capital at that level. So looking forward and seeing a three-year pipeline of stability, definitely a, a thing of comfort, mm-hmm. but also seeing the opportunity. Hey, if it's successful, that's fantastic. If it's not, I'm not going to be you know, starving to death along the way of right. uh, taking this company, turning it into a real operating company. Great. I think that was the 
um, that was the hook or the, the always the carrot to keep you know, keep things going. For sure. And it's a it's a tough choice. Do you develop a project and sell it, or do you do you bring it all the way to the point and try to raise capital? It, it's a it's an ebb and flow with a developer. For sure. Uh, how to manage that? So you're you're the vice president of finance there. You kind of can see the writing on the wall twelve months leading up to it. So did you start kind of putting out feelers right away, or did you wait a little bit? Were you so busy that last year that you just waited till you were done? You know, I was just. Uh, working it hard all the way up, uh, all the way up to the end. Yeah. Um, once I was uh, once I was out of that role full time, I did a couple other kind of I call them just like personal side projects, mm-hmm. things that I explored uh, that I could. Uh, I wasn't living paycheck to paycheck, so you had saved along the way. Yes, I'm a I'm a I'm good at squirreling things away. <laughs> recession proof and as proven a few times here that's good that's um weird. yeah so explored uh explored uh working on a real estate fund with a college friend mm-hmm. and even help setting him uh help him set up a bit um mm-hmm. co-invested a bit but then decided i didn't want to go on that exact route so went kind of right right back to uh back to what I just developed as my now core and found a position essentially managing the portfolios that I was helping, um, helping put together by, you know, on the development side. So you went to a large corporate, you went to Somitomo. Right. Right. And you say you were helping run their renewable energy infrastructure group or busy or actually purchasing new ones or, or managing that portfolio or divesting or both. So my, primary role was managing the portfolio okay. uh, and dealing uh, dealing with the total uh, total process of asset management uh, but I was also working on you know, if you're running the portfolio you're you're part of the biz, uh, the BD team uh, so anything that came into the portfolio I had a soft not quite official veto uh, I could at least say yeah we should probably stop looking at this project. You know, somebody okay. might still want to do a whole bunch of work on it and see if it works and see if it changes. Um, but it was a, um, it's, you know, a, a hybrid role. Got it. And did you enjoy that, that time there? Cause you were there for a good six years. Yeah, no, I, I, I did. I did like it. Um, very, like very salt of the earth type of, uh, type of environment. Mm. Uh, it was interesting to change everything from wearing a suit and tie, hop on a plane to go out and God forbid you wear a suit and tie to a power plant. Right? Cause it's really, we were, we, we owned steel on the ground, but yeah. the same, the same type of, uh, same type of math and analysis in the background, you're generating electricity to make enough power uh, to make enough money to pay your operating expenses and your dirt and your you know, dirt broke again. And the projects don't make sense unless you earn the tax credit. So there was all that same, that uh, same, same tax equity. Yeah. So any, is there anywhere listeners or someone else who's interested in the renewable energy space or these, the, the math that goes behind all of this stuff where they could find or learn more? Wow. Um, and if not, that's okay. If it's, if it's something where you just had to learn on the job or. or yeah. The, uh, there's, I can't think of a single class that I've looked mm-hmm. at um, undergraduate or graduate alike that really gets to the heart of 
tax equity, uh, you end up getting into an accounting track where people describe tax accounting, mm-hmm. but it's really not tax account trading that 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 you study. That's really it's it's kind of a mix of commodity trading in itself. Because okay. a dollar is a dollar, a tax rate is a tax rate, yeah. but you might have a different one than I do, and no mm. different than poker. I might have a pair of aces, and you'll still beat me with <laughs> two fives and a seven, right? Right, fair. Okay, so you're you're there for a good run. You're it sounds like doing a little bit of a, a little bit of everything there, and then you end up kind of started. Is this is Asia Atlantic? Should I think of it as your own shop? Or did you go out and? Were you co-founder there or is it something that had been established? Uh, established shortly before I came on board. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the co-founders uh, was somebody that I worked closely with at Sumitomo. So okay. from there, and I was able to add in my own subject matter expertise mm-hmm. uh, and my, you know, my own view on risk and methods and process into my colleagues and their own methods on risk and networks and you know, private equity backgrounds and uh, well, you know, having experience working in the World Bank and understanding global e- uh, economic impacts. Uh, we, all, we all tie it together. So that's you know, something what's, that- what's, What strikes me about your background is, you know, you go large firm, small firm, large firm, small firm. <laughs> and you're a little following- A little bit of bracketing. And you're, yeah, and you're following your, almost your mentors and the people that work with, you work closely with at those larger firms when they move mm-hmm. out, which is kind of a nice way to, you know, make that jump, that the riskier jump a little bit less risky, less, less risky. So it becomes less, less personnel risk and more kind of business risk only. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, um, that's risk management 101 though. Mm-hmm. If you have too many unknowns, then... Yeah, you can't manage them. You want to uh, you want to quarantine your unknowns and mm-hmm. and focus on things that you that you know are a challenge. Um, and so, tell me at at your current firm, are you doing what percentage would you say is like consulting versus actual and investing in projects? Uh, about like fifty fifty. Okay, uh, really. So we we do work on a lot of uh, the business practice advisory. Uh, but it is, it is, uh, it's an important, uh, task, I would say to be out there in the industries and knowing what kind of deal flow is out there. If you're just taking that as a secondhand report, just trying to, you know, re- uh, read whatever I just said about the market today, then well, you don't need me. You just need IHS. Right. Um, I think a big, a, a big value that we try to put forward is, being able to you know, hang up the phone with a client and then pick up a phone with somebody that I think the, that client need, uh, then needs to connect with uh, based on whatever we discussed with the client. Fair. Um, I mean, you're, you're very well connected in the uh, renewable energy space, obviously at this point. Right. Yeah. So, and being able to understand what that, you know, what a client needs mm-hmm. from, uh, from a discussion with them is that, that, that's value add. For sure. Otherwise they, so what's next for you? So next is actually something totally outside what we just discussed. Yeah. Um, part-time, I am with the National Guard as a cavalry officer. 
Great. So mixing in between my busy schedule of professional and family duties, uh, I'm going off to armor school. And when is, when is that? Is that going to become a full-time thing or is it something where you... No, it's not a full-time thing. Um, it's just, uh, it, it, it's a way to put some of the, the, put some of the goodwill I got back uh, into local community, hopefully, uh, if, if they need. Um, but there, it does have some full-time training and some, which some would be brutal. <laughs> which <Yeah>. would be... <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a little 12 year old in me uh, that's all excited about driving a tank, right? Like who, yeah. what, what little kid doesn't want to do that? Um, but then there's the, the responsible practitioner in me that's also saying, well, okay, so with this, you, you're, you're seeing a different side of infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Honestly, every, when the people I train with, when they're going through a base, they're just worried about how far the next, uh, the next mile run is. And I can't help but look around and just think, man, who got the contract for that solar panel array on the side? And I just get lost. You know? The next thing I know, the mile's gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So anything else before we call it in terms of, you know, best lessons or anything you learned or something you would tell your younger self looking back on, on your career to date. You've been out of school now for what is it? 14 years? 15? Yeah. Five. Yeah. So, going you know, on 15. Yeah. So what, what would you say is kind of a takeaway or what would you tell your younger self? Knowing what you um, everything, you know, be confident in it, but keep testing it. You know, it's like okay. sometimes you have to, uh, you have to believe in yourself, and I'm really stealing from Rudyard Kipling. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not stealing if you quote if you quote him. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, make allowance for other people's doubting too, which means that everything you know is you can go forward and lead your plan, but then feel free without having to beat yourself down to reevaluate where you're going uh, along the way. Set up a checkpoint. You have a, like you described, um, you know, a three-year stint I had at one year, two year, just create some sort of milestone to just stop, pull yourself out of your shoes and mm-hmm. make sure that this is what you want to do. So, and then, or figure out how to make it be what you want to be. Fair. We'll leave it at that. Well, Dan, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to share all your wisdom. And to tell us all those uh, those stories, those crazy stories from back in at Bear Stearns. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. And until next time.